two things as we move toward our time in the Word. Um, number one, this morning we have a privilege to hear from Benjamin Wills. Benjamin is the founder and head of school at Peace Prep in Atlanta and a member of our parish community and also an Anglican priest. And so uh, that's a trifecta right there. And it's, it's a gift to be able to spend time uh, with Benjamin and for us to be able to sit and hear and receive um, from Benjamin. And so as we move into this season of Lent, uh, called Benjamin a few weeks ago and said, hey, would you, would you preach this morning? And, and he said yes, and I didn't realize how good of timing that was going to be for a number of reasons. And so I'm just really grateful for the opportunity uh, for us to hear from Benjamin this morning. So he'll come up in just a moment, lead us into this Lenten season, but we're going to start with a gospel reading. It comes from the book of Mark, and whenever we hear from the gospels as we're able, we like to stand. It's a way for us to embody a posture of hearing Christ speaking to us and receiving these words, not as words on a page, but as words from the heart of God to our heart. And so we will listen to the gospel from Mark, and Stephen's going to read it to us. A Gospel reading from Mark 1. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you all. You can... Sit. Um, I'll, I'll say two things before I uh, go into the sermon. First is that uh, Lent is particularly special for me. There's a part of my story that most of you know, which is that it was Lent of 2012 that I spent those 40 days and nights asking God to allow me to physically dream, and then I did. Um, and from that, this school started that is the greatest joy of my life uh, outside of my beautiful children and wife. Um, and so Lent is, is really special for me. I always come back to that place and that moment. The second thing to know, just out of the context of where I'm coming today, I'm doing the spiritual exercises right now, and I'm in the sin week. And so um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to say some things to you that God's revealing to me, and I'm very sorry, but you're going to know more about me than maybe you would have wanted to know. But uh, the hope in doing that is just to open up a space for maybe you to hear something that God's saying to me and be like, that sounds a little familiar, um, and feel less alone. I think, I think that's important. It's just that we feel less alone in this thing uh, that we're trying to do and practicing the way of Jesus. So those are important things to know as we come, come to this sermon. All right, let's jump in here. Um, a few years ago, we were doing this process at Peace Prep of, of a rebrand. Uh, we needed a new logo and a new website, and so if you're like a marketing person in the room, maybe you know what I'm talking about, and if not, I might sound like I'm speaking another language. But as part of this, we spent a whole day with these marketing people doing a variety of different exercises to kind of understand um, what kind of brand we were. And so there's like 
all of these options are these archetypes of brands. There's the outlaw, um, there's the hero, there's the explorer, things like this. And one of the most fascinating exercises that we did uh, was to actually write an obituary. So the assignment was to write an obituary and think about our organization when it died, right? Like on the day this thing dies, what will it have meant? What, what will people say? And the insight from that helped us gain some clarity about our brand, but more than that, it started telling us some things about what we wanted to be in the present moment, how we wanted to live today to get to what people might say about us when we were gone. And that came to mind this week. As I was thinking about this particular gospel text in light of Lent, I think about Lent as this season of leaning in to the finite nature of our humanity. It starts with Ash Wednesday, which has already been said, where we get physically reminded by these ashes, this cross on our forehead, that we're going back to dust. And we're meant to be marked for a moment so we can become aware of what it is to live. So death marks us so that we can become aware of what it is to live. And so in the same way that the obituary of our organization informed how we wanted to live in the present, I believe Lent invites us to consider death and mortality and the finite nature of our days so that we can purpose them, so we can purpose our days. Another way to say this is the big idea this morning. It's that Lent invites us to live in reverse. Lent invites us to live in reverse. Another way to say this, Lent invites us to live backwards, thinking about our death backwards. A third way, if you're a, a Stephen Covey fan, Lent invites us to begin with the end in mind. So Lent's making an invitation this morning to make some space in our lives, to talk with God about two core realities I see in this text, our identity and our ideals. Our identity and our ideals. What are we and where are we going? What are we and where are we going? And here's how I see this playing out in the gospel this morning. The story opens with the baptism of Jesus. It's so familiar to us that we don't really kind of let it sink into our hearts fully. And there's a lot to say about the baptism of Jesus, but I'm not going to focus there this morning if that's okay. But without oversimplifying it, the baptism of Jesus does something important. It invites us into the pattern of death and resurrection. It invites us into the pattern of death and resurrection. And so if Lent is about considering death and all of its realities, then it cannot actually be thought of or considered apart from resurrection. Lent can't be considered apart from Easter. You can't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't work in the big enough story, right? Lent's this season where we walk through pain. We walk through disorientation. We sit with the idea of death. We sit with wilderness. We sit with wandering. But we always do so considering that Easter is going to come. We always do so realizing Easter is going to come. We know where this story is going. And so starting Lent with this passage that contains the full scope of that I think is particularly helpful. It helps us begin with the end in mind by thinking about death and then living backwards and considering that death is not actually the full reality. Death is not actually the whole story. Death is not the end that God has in mind. Resurrection is. And that's good news. We're going to come back to that. First big moment in our story comes when Jesus is coming out of the water. 
And the story records from Mark's vantage that the heavens tore apart, the spirit descends like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you I'm well pleased. Now a core reality in my life, in yours, if you're not aware, we have identity issues. Every one of us at various stages and more than once in our life will be in a situation or a place where we're going to ask this question, who am I? Anybody? Just me. Okay. Just me. I got one hand. And for me and for you, whatever, however we answer that question, at any moment, we're going to live from that. We're going to live from that identity. Whatever we believe to be true about ourselves and to the degree we believe it is going to set a trajectory for our life. And the problem for me and the problem for you and the problem for Jesus, who was fully human and fully God, is that there are all manner of voices, there's all kinds of people that are happy to contribute to the answer to that question, whether we ask them or not. Whether it be our family of origin our trauma, our friends, our frenemies, the culture broadly, you fill in the blank. There are so many voices that are con going to contribute to the answer to that question. And the manner and degree by which we believe those various contributors, we will live from them. We will live from them. Let me help you by talking about myself for a minute. I'll make it really practical. Here's two voices I hear. You are not enough. You're too much. Let me differentiate for a moment here and, and tell you, I'm saying I believe these to be true about my identity. I don't just, they're just not just character flaws or chinks in the armor. These are things that I believe are at the core of who I am. I hear them and I believe them and at times I live from them. So what do I do? Well, when I'm hearing and believing you're not enough, I try to make myself bigger more. I overextend myself. I overperform. I say yes to too many things. I create codependencies. I live self-righteously. I live pridefully because I want to be enough. And when I hear you're too much, I try and make myself smaller. I avoid conflict. I hide in the shadows. I hoard the gifts God's given me in order to not create a space that overwhelms anyone. This is not good. And this is not who I am. Thanks be to God, there's a better word. There's a better word for me and there's a better word for you. There's a truer word about who we are. And we see Jesus get it here. You are my beloved son or daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. This is what is most true about every single person that God has made, which, spoiler alert, is every single person. So the invitation of Lent is to baptize our identities. To baptize our identities, to let the things that are not truest about us die. 
to plunge them into the depths of the water so that what comes out is what is most true. What is resurrected, what is brought up is what is most true about us, our belovedness. This is what I believe is on offer for us. To hear from God, to actually hear from God what is most true about us. I genuinely and specifically believe that God desires and is able to communicate directly with you that which is ultimately true about you. And by the way, God is the only one who gets to say what is ultimately true about you. So we listen. We listen for God. There's an offering I heard on Mondays and Tuesday nights to figure out more about that. We create space with whatever disciplines God's inviting you into during this season. Whatever practices God's asking you personally to pick up or lay down, whether it's fasting from a tangible thing or taking on something for 40 days, all of these things are meant to make space in the patterns of our lives to turn down the noise of the other voices and in that space allow God's voice to be the loudest, the clearest one we hear. When you find that space, I want you to ask this question. It's dangerous. Who do you say I am? Ask God this question. Who do you say I am? I'll give you a, a, a stretch question. What aspects of Christ's character have you given me to embody? That'll be a really important question for where I'm going with this. What aspect of Christ's character have you given me to embody? We'll need to know that. So just after this miraculous moment of God's voice coming to affirm the identity of Jesus, which is often regarded as the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, immediately he's driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. Here we see the wrestle with the second core reality at work here, and that is our ideals. Ideals. Now again, just so we're clear about what I'm saying here, all of us have identity issues, and all of us also have disordered ideals. We have disordered ideals. A simpler way to say this is maybe this. I have ideas about where I want my life to go. Anybody else? I have ideas about where I would like to go, my life to go, what I'd like to do with it, who I would like to do that with, where I would like to be at any given moment in my career, in my family, in my ministry. These are my ideals. These are my conception of what's perfect and right and what's good and what should be happening. Is anybody tracking with me? I don't know about you, but for me, none of those ideals involve the wilderness. None of those ideals involve purposely being tempted by Satan or surrounded by wild beasts for 40 days or 40 minutes or 40 seconds. I'm not interested. I do not have that on my bingo card for 2024. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the wilderness. I avoid the wilderness. And when I finally realize I'm there... 
I begrudgingly participate, hoping that will get me out quicker. Like, okay, God, if I just accept that this is where I am, can you tell me how to get out of here? And so when I sat with this passage this week and my sin in the exercises, I got this cup of cold water thrown in my face because there was this, I read this confusing thing that the Spirit drove him there. That feels mean, but God's not mean. And so what does that say about me and potentially you? Well, for me it says I have to get comfortable with discomfort. I have to dispel the myth in my own heart that God only leads me to still water. That unrest and hardship and death are part of God's plan and they're in the pattern, but that the pattern ultimately leads to resurrection. But it doesn't feel like good news. And that's confusing to me. But then I'm reminded by God What's actually happened in my life in the wilderness? It's like I fly up in the drone for a second. And again, a vast oversimplification here about the temptation of Jesus, but the wilderness is one of the best places for God to show exactly who God is. That's what I see when I zoom out and look at my life, that I've learned the most about God in the wilderness. The temptations of Jesus, if we oversimplify them, are about provision and position and power. And all these things show up in my story and they show up in yours. You need stuff, you want to be something, and you want to do something with what you are. Right? And what I can bear witness to this morning, and what I can testify to the reality of this morning, is that every time I've been in a wilderness of any kind, every time I've needed God to provide, God has. God has. When I get to a place where I must totally and completely rely on God, where my ideals are shot out of the water and all I can say is help, God does. And I've had a front row seat for the last 10 years of my life and there's times when I've wanted to get out of the car. But God's given me the great privilege of leading an organization that relies completely on the provision of God. And God's provided. And so when I actually put my life into perspective, I think I've lived more Lent than anything. I've lived more wilderness than promised land, but in the same breath I would tell you that I've never lacked anything. And that's not because I've made my own way. It's because God has provided. I've never been strong enough or smart enough, but God has. I've never been in a high enough position of influence or had enough power, but God has moved mountains and parted seas right in front of my eyes. Like wild things. So the really good news here is that in the wilderness, there's a friendly reminder that following the Spirit of God never happens on our terms. And that's good news. What I've come to believe experientially is that my avoidance of the wilderness in favor of my ideals actually causes me to miss the power and presence of God that is available to me. The temptations are there. The beasts are there. 
Mark's gospel also says the angels are there. God is there. So the invitation of Lent is to baptize our ideals. To let our ideas, our conception of perfection die so that God's Spirit may lead us to the places in our lives where we can actually position ourselves to watch God work and be involved in it. So the same invitation here is with our identities. Make space and ask God a big question. It's a scary one. Where is God leading me? Where is God leading me? Here's the stretch question. What's keeping me from following your Spirit's lead? What's keeping me from following your Spirit's lead? The passage this morning ends as it begins. With a baptism. Verse 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time's fulfilled. The kingdom of God's come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Where is the baptism? I'm glad you asked. This is important. The kingdom of God is a baptism of the habits, patterns, and ways of this world so that we might live into a renewed, redeemed, and restored humanity. The kingdom of God is a death to the patterns that are created by shame, by the abuses of power and privilege, so that what comes up out of the water is a king who is making all things new. And if you don't hear anything else I said, hear this. If our aim is not to have the end in mind that God has in mind, then it's not practicing the way of Jesus. It's something else. It's a coping strategy at best. But who we are and where we're going has to be in the way of the kingdom. Or it's not in the way of Jesus. Because this is what Jesus came to do. He says that to us. The time is fulfilled. It's in our midst. And so beginning with the end in mind is saying Jesus brought forth the truest reality. He brought forth the reality that encompasses all other realities. He brought forth the kingdom of God. It is now and not yet. And we ought to get to work making it come. And revealing it in our midst. The earliest followers of Jesus are said to have turned the world upside down. They watched Jesus preach and heal and cast out demons and raise the dead. And then they watched Jesus die. They watched him die. How confusing. But they watched him, and they were with him in resurrected form. And they got to put their hands in his side, and they got to share a meal with him, and they got to be loved by him before he left. They watched the pattern play out from beginning to end. They saw death 
go to resurrection. And they were unleashed on this hurting world as healers and proclaimers of what they bore witness to. And so my question for us is, what is keeping us from doing the same? What's keeping us from doing the same? So we're back to where we began. It's our ideals and it's our identities. And Lent is a perfect space to deal with those and put to death anything that is not moving us in the way of Jesus. And this is the journey of our lives over and over again. We can't do this in 40 days. If we knew who we were and we knew where we were going, we might just find ourselves swept into the activity of the kingdom. We might just see the poor being blessed. We might just see the weary finding rest. We might see sad becoming untrue. We might see everything being renewed in front of us. We might see death as defeated and no more. And we might speak the better word of resurrection to everything in our lives. This is the end God has in mind for us, friends. So the invitation this morning is to live in reverse. Live as the beloved of God who follow the Spirit of God with God's end in mind. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.